0: Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Dr. Charles Stanley, founder of InTouch Ministries. His life's work is about sharing the love and kindness of God, because as he says, it's the word of God and the work of God that changes people's lives. You can watch more messages from Dr. Charles Stanley on InTouch, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 7 a.m. Mountain Time on Miracle Channel. And now... Dr. Charles Stanley will discuss seven powerful habits that will strengthen your spiritual life and will encourage you to pursue godliness in an easy and consistent way. Let's dive into the message.
1: Well, the title of this message is The Seven Habits of a Godly Life. You should get every one of them down. Ask yourself the question Are you a godly person? So, first of all, I want to Define a couple of things. And first of all, I want to define what a habit is. And a habit is a recurring, often unconscious pattern of behavior that is acquired through frequent repetition. That's what a habit is something we do over and over and over again. The second definition is um, simply this what, what is a godly life? So, what's godly? It's a life no longer seeking satisfaction through a sinful lifestyle, but is now surrendered to God and His will for your life. In other words, we would call that a sanctified life. Not perfect. Doesn't mean you never sin, but it means that your life is fully surrendered to Him. So, I want to give you seven habits that every single believer ought to make. As a part of their life, and the first one is this: the habit, first habit, is a life of prayer. And you'll recall one of my favorite passages, very simple, in Mark, that first chapter, when the the disciples they they never quite got a hold of this. But the Scripture says in chapter one of Mark, verse thirty-five, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everybody's looking for you. And so that's sort of typical about the way people operate sometimes. Jesus is doing the most important thing in life and they don't quite get that. And um, then again, for example, in the fourth chapter of Luke, And the forty-second verse, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for Him, and came to Him and tried to keep Him from going away from them. And He said to them, I must preach the gospel, and so forth. Now, when we talk about a life of prayer, we're not talking about once in a while. We're talking about that every day you sense the need, the desire, and the joy. And the awesome power that comes through praying, talking to the Father, that is, it ought to be a habit, something that is recurring in your life, not just when you get in trouble, when you get in need, but because you love God, because you're grateful for who He is and what he's doing in your life. And for example, on the 11th chapter of Luke, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, "Now would you would you teach us to pray like uh, Uh, John the Baptist teaches his disciples to pray. And so, they saw something absolutely different about Jesus praying. It wasn't some ritual that people usually would go through in those days, but they could sense that He was talking personally to the Heavenly Father. So, when I look at these verses and uh, think about it, the truth is you can't live a godly life unless you have a prayer life. You're not, you can't. You live in a world, we all live in a world of temptation and trials and heartaches and burdens and sin. And everywhere you turn, there it is. You cannot live a godly life. I didn't say a life without any sin, but a godly life, and we defined what that meant. You can't live a godly life unless you have a good prayer life, because the prayer life keeps you connected to Almighty God, sensitive to His will and His purpose and His plan for your life. You don't pray, you won't live a godly life. And if you'll think about it, it's the most important activity of your life. You've got to have a life of prayer. Secondly, the second habit is trust or faith. Whichever word suits you best. And I I love that hundred and third Psalm and the nineteenth verse. And uh, the Bible says the Lord has established His throne in the heavens. And His sovereignty rules over all. So, if you'll think about what that verse says, if God Almighty has established His throne in the heavens, and watch this, His sovereignty, that is His all-knowing, supernatural, divine power rules over everything. Then what does that do? That gives me an awesome foundation to believe Him. Knowing that He's in charge, it doesn't make any difference what happens. How it happens, through whom it happens, for whatever reason, I know that God is in control, and I can trust Him for whatever He allows in life. And I think that's why that verse is so important is, is because if you don't if you don't trust him, if you don't trust him, you're not going to pray. And you have to ask yourself the question, well, Oh, where, is, where is trust in your own spiritual life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. And I quote that verse to you very often because it is a basic verse. And when you and I are trusting Him, what happens? It builds intimacy with Him. And intimacy means that I have a relationship with Him. I don't have to introduce myself to Him. An intimate relationship with a person means that that you are close not only to their heart, but their thinking. The way they think, the way they feel. An intimate relationship is what every husband and wife ought to have all the days of their life. Intimate relationship with God is you and He talk together. He listens to you, you listen to Him. You obey Him, He guides you. That's an awesome sense of intimacy in a life that trusts God. And if you want to know whether you're a trusting person or not, ask yourself this question What am I worried about? If you can look around and say, I'm not worried about anything because you're trusting Him. Whatever you're worried about is God's long, awesome finger saying, You're not trusting me at this area of your life. A godly life is a life of trust. Third, third habit in this awesome life is the habit of meditation in the Word of God. Now, I don't know how you describe how important this is, but uh, the Scriptures are, are, are there, and I want us to look at it for just a moment. And the psalmist said in this sixty-third chapter, in the sixth verse, listen, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you've been my help. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me." Now, what does it mean to meditate? It means that I read it. It means that I think about it. I search my heart in the light of what God is saying. I ask Him whatever questions I have on my mind. I surrender whatever He brings to my mind. And meditating upon Him, here's what meditation does. Meditation is like looking into a mirror. But it is also looking beyond the mirror. That is, I see what God sees and then I see beyond that and I see Him. Your focus is on Him. And when you begin to focus on God, here's what happens. Worries drift away, concerns drift away, Your your mind is no longer contaminated with all kinds of things that do not do you any good at all. Meditation is an absolutely essential part of living a godly life. And where there's no meditation, you're not going to live a godly life. You can't. You think about when you get up in the morning, how much of the world crowds itself into your thinking. You have to get dressed, of course, and eat breakfast. And you've got to get in your car and drive down the expressway or somewhere and finally get to work. And as soon as you do, it's chatter, 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 chatter all the day. Or oh, the keyboard's flying all the day and your mind is full. Then you've got to get back in your car, get back on the highway and, uh, and dodge the traffic again all the way home. And when you get there, you undress and try to relax. And then there's dinner. I can fill up your day and not even know you. <laughs> because that's what we do. And so, where is God? Where is, wh- where is God's private time with you? What leads to a godly life is a time of being alone with Him, longing for Him, meditating upon Him, thinking about Him. And then, there's a fourth habit, a very important one, and the one you hear me say all the time, obey God. And I want to go back to Deuteronomy. Uh, Twenty-seven, all the way back in the Old Testament, because he makes it so crystal clear in this twenty-seventh chapter, and the tenth verse, God speaking through Moses to His people. Here's what He said: He said, "You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments and His statutes which I command you today." And then down to tw- chapter twenty-eight, verse one: "Now it shall be, listen to this: if you." Diligently, you know what that means? Consistently, diligently obey the Lord your God. Being careful to do all His commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you, listen, set you high above all the nations of the earth. He was talking about Israel. But put yourself in that position. When you and I obey God, we, listen, we, think about this. We're walking on a higher level. Think about how the world lives. They live with all kinds of evil thoughts. And busy, 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 no time for God. You have chosen to follow Jesus. And to follow Him means you live on a higher level. It doesn't mean that you're looking down on other people. It just means that you have chosen to live by a standard that's higher than the world's standard. It doesn't mean that we're better than somebody else, but it means our lifestyle is better and the lifestyle of the world. And so ask yourself the question, now do I have a habit of of really praying and trusting and meditating upon the Word of God, and would I be considered an obedient child of God? And how many times have you said it and you said it as well as I can? The wise way to live is to obey God, then leave all the consequences and circumstances to God. Now I will do that only. If I'm have a life of prayer, only if I'm trusting, only if I'm meditating upon Him, that's the only way I'm going to do it. So these are simple habits that make your life what God wants it to be. And listen, think about this: there's nothing that can keep you from obeying and walking in these seven habits. Nothing, except the choice you make. It, it, you see, you have, to, you, have to choo- you, you have to choose some things. You have to choose to go with them or with God. Have this or have God. Walk this way or have God's way. And so, I, the reason I said seven habits, because remember we said a habit is a recurring, often unconscious pattern of behavior that's acquired through frequent repetition. Something that you and I do continuously. Now, each thing I've mentioned so far, you can do. The reason you do not do it is because you don't think it's important. Now, watch that. The reason we don't do things that are absolutely sacred, godly, awesome, life-changing, lifting habits is because we've decided to choose the world's way. And no matter who you are, how gifted you are, how much money you have, how wise you think you are, how much education you have, you cannot live a godly life, the best life, without practicing these seven habits. Now, what is the fifth one? The fifth habit is dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And uh, somebody says, well, what does that mean? It means that I surrender my life. Listen, to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And remember what Jesus said to His disciples. He said, Sit down, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued. That is, until the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And when He does, then you'll be ready to do uh, what I have called you to do. So, I've given you some some Scriptures here. Some of them are familiar to you, maybe some of them are not. But uh, in Ephesians chapter five, you remember what, The scripture says in this particular passage, and um, let's look at verse 18. The scripture says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if I took a quart sized jar and set it up here, and I had it half full of water, you would say, Well, it's only half full. It would only be full. When it's up to the top, brimming, complete. When He says be, that, that Greek verb says, be ye being filled, which means it's a continuous thing. In the morning when you get up amidst the, your prayer or before you, when you're meditating, before you even get out of the bed, you should say, Lord, I just want you to fill me with your Spirit today. Now, here's what that means. Jesus said to His disciples in Luke, before you do what I called you to do, Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued, until the Holy Spirit is come upon you to indwell you for the simple reason you are not equipped to do what I've called you to do apart from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who will empower you. He will empower you, teach you how, give you guidance and direction to do what I've called you to do. Now, most people don't have any idea who the Holy Spirit is. You are as a follower of Jesus, as a believer of Christ, you've trusted Him for your salvation, you are now already indwelt by the third person of the Trinity who is the Holy Spirit. When you and I choose to disobey God, we choose to sin against the Holy Spirit who is within us and whom God sent into our life to enable us to become, to be, to do to accomplish whatever he has in life so you you're never alone you're you're indwelt by god the holy spirit who is there to enable you help you encourage you strengthen you heal you you name it he's there because we need god in our life and he knew he would then of course there is the sixth one and that's giving to god and to others and uh, in this sixth chapter of Luke, which is a very, very familiar chapter, um, you remember what he says? Give and it should be given to you. Good measure, he says, listen, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. When I think about giving to God, my favorite uh, example of that is uh, I was thinking about this last night. My first Sunday school teacher was this naturally I, I was probably three or four years old, somewhere thereabouts, because I started school at five, which was too early, never ever caught up and, and, and then uh, but I went to Sunday school every Sunday, and I remember all the chairs were different colors green, red, yellow, blue, and so forth and then The Sunday school teacher was this—I don't know how tall she was, but she looked like she was about ten feet tall to me. Got sitting down. She had black hair, sweet, wonderful lady. And they came around to to take the offering, and I remember my mother would always give me a few pennies to drop in. She would never let me go without having something to give. So before I could count, my mother taught me to give to God. So. When I got my first job, which was a paper out, I made four dollars a week. Well, I was grateful to God. I thought, I can't get God change. I gave him a dollar, which was twenty-five percent. I never thought about that. I just thought about well, what did God get. Then after that, I had a paper out and I made sixteen dollars a week, and so I gave God more than a tithe on that. And then all of my life I've never just tithed. Never. For the simple reason I learned very early in life, you cannot outgive God. And watch this. Secondly, you can't even predict what you're going to need. And if you can't predict what you're going to need, how are you going to manage all of that? So we give to God and trust Him to do exactly what He promised to do. And so I give you this simple example that many of you have heard before because it's one that so impressed my life. So you have to ask yourself the question: Is that going to be one of the habits in your life? And the Bible says that God loves the cheerful giver. So if He loves the cheerful giver, what about those who, are, what about those who are stingy, who don't give God? God tell you, you know, I'll tell you why God's not pleased. Because here's what it says: I can do without Him. I'll handle it. I can manage. I don't need God to manage my money. Think about how foolish that is. Your money could burn up overnight. The situation could be that you'd lose it all overnight. You have nothing. But listen this carefully. You will never be in the situation where you don't have anything because you have God living within you and everything you need, (laughs) God has promised to provide. An awesome habit in our life. Then I would give you the seventh habit. And that is a very important one, and that is the habit of forgiving other people. And the Scripture, one of the very clear Scriptures in Ephesians chapter four, and uh, we've all read it many times before, but it's the truth and we read it again and again and again. And the Scripture says, listen, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Very, very important passage. And then he says, Don't grieve in verse thirty, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Then he says in verse thirty one, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one to another, and tender hearted forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Is that always easy? No. It's difficult sometimes to be forgiving to people uh, who have done certain things to you. And I think one of the worst situations is when you've been betrayed, when you have trusted, really trusted somebody, done your best to help them in lots of ways, and then they betray you, They, they do what would be the last thing you think that they would do in your life. And yet, we have to be forgiving. Now, here are seven habits. Listen carefully. I could have done this in a lot of different ways, but I wanted you to see every verse and to get all seven habits down so that every single person in here fully understands the seven habits by which you live a godly life. A life that will be blessed over and over and over again, in many, many different ways. But it's a it's a a choice you make, and I would suggest that you make a choice right now. We're going to pray in a second, and in this prayer, I'm going to pray that you'll be wise enough and say to God, Lord, I want these seven habits in my life, and I will begin today working them into my life. It's a working process into your life. Will you will you live up to all of them every day? No, but here's what you do: you ask God to forgive you. Show me why I tripped up on that one, Lord, and I just reaffirm my desire to be forgiving to others or whatever it might be. Lord, I, I was too busy this morning. I got up and ran off. Forgive me for not stopping to. Meditate upon Your Word. To surrender my life to You, yield myself to You. I made a mistake, God. I don't want to do that again. You don't think God will co- correct you? Yes, He will. He will correct you. He'll give you enough trouble one morning after you get up and ignore Him that you won't forget it. <laughs> Listen. You know what? It's because He loves us. Think about. It. There's a whole Bible full of truth, but I believe. Those seven habits absolutely will transform your life and lead you to be able to accomplish in life more than your heart could ever desire. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I understand this is probably a little bit beyond you. But let me say this, you'll never understand or be able to enjoy life at its best until you surrender your life to Christ. Because you can't ever lose surrendering to Jesus, never. You say, well, what do I have to do? You ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin? Not because you deserve it, but because Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, shed His blood for you, paid your sin debt in full, the Bible says, and therefore when you ask God to forgive you, Because of what he's done for you, he paid your debt. God forgives you and makes you a child of God. Then you begin the practice of these seven habits. What an awesome life you have before you. And I trust that you'll do it.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers like Dr. Charles Stanley. Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. We hope you were inspired by today's message. God bless.